Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 4th of September 2011, entitled God's Pattern for a Successful Church. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. You noticed in your bulletin the title for our message tonight is God's Pattern for successful church. I think it was Brother Steve and I that were that were talking, and I think uh, uh, I guess shows sometimes how we can be on the same track. I think Steve asked me about the fact of sharing because you know the simple truth is is that it's not the pastor that makes a church, but the pastor has the responsibility as the shepherd to protect the, the sheep, protect the church. And most people never realize all the attacks that is going on all around you all the time uh, where the devil's sticking at this one or poking at that one or working at someone else. And, of course, uh, he takes advantage. And uh, God willing, this evening and next Sunday morning and next Sunday evening, uh, I want to give you some simple thoughts. God willing, this evening we're going to uh, be looking at this Simple thought here on God's pattern for a successful church. Um, you know, the truth is, is these next few months while we are away, it um, doesn't have to be an existing and a hanging on time. Uh, but we can see great success. We can see God do great things through those that are willing to let God work through them because it's always God. And I want to point that out, and that's where this passage is going to end to. It's Him that does the adding. We can't. None of us can, can save a soul. If we build a church and build the numbers just with our own schemes and plans and programs and all of these things, then it's not the church that he built anyway. That's not what we, we need. God willing, next Sunday morning, the Lord doesn't change my mind, we'll be looking simply at the unity of the body, the oneness of the body. And uh, uh, so you pray for us as we look there. This evening as we... Uh, look in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, reading verses 42 through 47. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning with Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The Word of God says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the church that you have given us here, for each one that you have made a part of this body. Father, we thank you that even as we gather together here this evening, we have a place to meet, that we have the freedom to meet, but most of all that we have your word. Lord, that's been preserved for us down through the years. We have your spirit that lives and dwells within us that will take this word. Lord, that will teach us that will make it alive into our hearts, that will meet the needs of every soul. 
Father, you promised that your word would not return until you void. Lord, we pray this evening that as your word goes forth, Lord, that you would speak to hearts, that you would encourage, that you would do the work that only you can do. For it's in Christ's name we pray, for his glory alone. Amen and amen. First of all, as we look at this passage, many things could be said, but I want us just to a quick overview. Of course, what we are reading about here in verses 42 through 47 is the first church in Jerusalem. The very first church that came into being in existence, again, all the details and everything we could look at, we've looked at before, Jesus promised to build his church. Believe that Jesus Christ began that work while he was here upon this earth. He chose the 12 apostles that would be the foundation of that work that he would build that work upon. And it was there on the day of Pentecost then that he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell them that he might accomplish his work. Yes, through those 12 apostles as well as through the church as a whole, through every individual believer. And of course, we see that this church that began there at Jerusalem we find that the first thing it tells here in verse 42 is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You know, I believe with all my heart that as we gather here this evening, that if you read through the doctrinal statement of this church, I believe that it's those same apostles' doctrine that we today stand to, that we hold to, that we preach, that we teach, that we live our lives upon. If I thought that there was somewhere else out there that had those doctrines closer to the Word of God, then that's where I would be. We're far from a perfect church. But I believe that we're standing upon the same truths that Jesus built His church upon and that we find that these right here in this first church continuing steadfastly in those same apostles' doctrine and fellowship is where we need today. It's where we spent this last year and a half or so, 60-some sermons on contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's that same faith that was delivered that you and I are to contend for and to stand for today. Of course, in the fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, we find that there was, again, this, this unity. They were there in oneness on the doctrines, but together they were fellowshipping together. Breaking of bread here, that was a term sometimes I know that this gets confused in Scripture with the communion table. But the breaking of bread was, was a term that was used very commonly in their day. Just like when you invite me over to your house or you come over to my house and we sit down and, and we fellowship together around food. And that's one of the great places that we tend to fellowship. It's just like in many homes. It's not the living room that ends up being the place where friends gather together, but it's around the dining room table a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or some snacks or some food. And that's what they were doing. There was this closeness of this, of this first church. They were continuing steadfastly in the doctrines and the teachings of the apostles that the Lord had laid down for them there. And they had this great unity together. They were fellowshipping. They were, they were fellowshipping together and they were praying together. And it says, and fear came upon every soul. Many times today we don't, uh, uh, I guess, like to think about fear but, of course, I believe that there is a respectful fear that all should have for an all-powerful God. But if we find here that as we hold Him and we respect Him for who He is and all that He is, by the same token, uh, there is a healthy kind of fear. Not that we run around trembling, thinking that He's going to, to lash out at us and to hurt us or something. 
but because we know the awesomeness, the awesomeness of who he is, the awesomeness of the responsibility that we have that he's left us to do, the awesomeness of the responsibility to live lives that would be pleasing to him. We notice here that that fear that came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. We have gone through some of those things in our series. These apostles were special God-called men. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament that we're reading here now. It was being written. Much of it by them, it was being written by. We find that by the same token, God had anointed these men in a special way that those who were around could know that they were God's men, that they were the men of God. And, of course, we know that, you know, you look and you think, wow, you know, I mean, that, that awesome power. And yet, with all of that awesome power that they had that was gifted to them to show who they were, we find that all of them, except for John, died martyrs' deaths themselves. They weren't a love people. They weren't popular because that they had all of these wonderful powers that the Lord had put upon them. The same thing today. I don't believe that we have the same power of the apostles, but I believe that we have the same God of the apostles. And that same God is able to do that within our midst that is totally miraculous because it's only, can only be credited to him. It's not what we do, it's what he's doing. We talked recently about this whole thing of, of faith. We spent about six sermons on, on true saving faith and what faith is all about. And of course, it's that faith that is not only the substance of things hoped for, that which, which supports it, that gives us the hope, but it's the evidence of things not seen. We still serve a God, a sovereign God that is all powerful, that has all the power of the universe. Jesus Christ, the Bible said all power was given to him. And he promised in that same verse that he would go with us to the very end of the age. So we find that this church, they were continuing steadfastly in the teachings they were close in their fellowship with each other in their prayers. They had a, a, a fear of God and who he was and all that he was. And God was doing great things in their midst. And it says, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, that's not communism. Communism is when you have some authoritarian power that says you'll work, but you'll get what we give to you. As a matter of fact, we had a great illustration of that given to us this morning of how that they strip them down and they take everything and they take away their dignity and they take away all that they have and then they feed them the seeds from their hand that they can survive on. That's not what we see here. This is not somebody taking what you have and giving it to somebody else. This is because these Christians had such a love one for another that it was the natural response to them that when somebody else had a need and they had something, they just naturally gave to that person that had the need. They were looking upon each other's needs. They were willing to go out and sell their possessions so that others could have the things that they needed. just shows the great depths of the love that they had one for another that they were not selfish in what they had and trying to build more of what they had, but they wanted, they had a desire to be there for one another. The Bible says, and they continuing daily with one accord, with one accord, 
You know, that's one of the ways that the devil will try to slip in the most is to break that accord, to break that unity, to break that oneness, which we'll look at in more detail next Sunday morning. But that's the way he can do it. You know, it's amazing. He doesn't really care what he gets you to believe as long as it's wrong. Sometimes he'll get you to believe too little. Sometimes he'll get you to believe too much. Sometimes he'll just work on that imagination. He'll make you think that that person looked at you wrong or that person said something wrong or that person did something wrong as long as he can break that accord. Because the simple truth is, is that the more that the body is together in one accord, in oneness, in unity, the more trouble he's going to have to break it down, to attack, to be effective against it. You know, when we're out there on our own, thank God. As Christians, we're never completely on our own because we've got the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord knew. Why do you think that when he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, that he went on to say, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He knows the world's going to get more ungodly. We see the signs of it all around us. But the truth is we're there for one another. We're there to hold each other up. We're there to encourage and to support and to exhort one another. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Again, that's part later my notes, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You know, sometimes we get the idea that we only come to church when we need it because we need to be there or because we don't. Well, I don't really need to go. I'm, I'm okay. Simple truth is, is that our desire to be in church, we should be in last place. First of all and foremost, it's for Him. We come to worship Him, to glorify Him. This is a small amount of time out of our lives that we set aside, that we can come together, that He can be the center of our attention, the center of our focus, that we can truly, as we sang earlier, enter these gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Enter His courts with praise. To come and give Him the thanks and the praise. Well, I can do that at home. You can, but all through the Word of God, Old Testament and New. God had his people coming together. They were coming together in one accord in the temple. And I would encourage you, think about not only that you're coming to church because of your love for him, but you know, the Bible goes to great lengths to show us as a, as a church, as a body, as a body with all of us as the different parts working together. Did you ever think about the fact that if you're part of that body, if you're missing, then in essence, the body is partially crippled, whatever part of that body that you are, if you're part of it, if you're not there, you might be an arm, you might be a foot, you might be a leg, you might be a, a nose or an eyeball or whatever, but if you're not there, part of the body is missing. It's not in its oneness. It's not in its full strength. We look around this evening. Our numbers are small in comparison to the number that was here this morning. I was shocked as I was talking to my brother Carl this afternoon over lunch after the meeting this morning, and he was talking about, I won't, I won't be specific because uh, that wouldn't be nice, uh, but he was telling me about a church, a church of, you know, a couple of thousand people on, on, on Sunday morning, you know, a couple of thousand people that came out, and, and boy, everything, I mean, you know, full-string orchestras and everything, professional, and they just did a wonderful job of worshiping and praising the Lord, and yet that same church of 2,000. Forget now if he said it was a Sunday evening or a Wednesday evening that he said he just sat on the back row and wept because there was about 40 people out of that 2,000 that were back out there again. And of course, from what he had come from in Southeast Asia, the people that would give anything just to have the freedom 
the privilege somewhere to come together, to be together as Christians. And yet when we've got it all before us, it becomes so cheap to us sometimes. You see, the first church, they were together in one accord. In the temple, in the homes, we've already seen they were, they were in each other's homes. It wasn't something that you just pass in the aisles on Sundays and that's it. They were a family. They were standing firm on the doctrines. They were out there in each other's homes encouraging one another, being an encouragement to one another. They were in the temple. They were in the place of God. They were in the house of God in one accord as they lifted their hearts together to magnify Him. It says, and breaking bread from house to house, again, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Satan loves to divide. He loves to be able to just break things down, things that, that are going along together. He likes to separate them. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice that last statement. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I'm saying that, you know, the most important task that he left us is to see souls won into the kingdom. And as a strong church, I believe that he's showing us right here that if we'll continue steadfastly in the doctrines that he has laid down for us, if we will be in one accord, in one mind, in our fellowship, in our praying, in our time together, in our worship together, that we're supporting each other, that we're all there for each other as a body, we find that when our focus is upon him, we're doing that. And I believe that he will add to the church daily such as should be saved. You know, I'm not saying that it's wrong to do things sometimes to try to get people's attention and to bring things in. You know, thank God even this morning right here that we had some of the moms of some of our bus kids that, that were here this morning because those children were taking part in a Sunday school presentation. Well, there's no tricks to that. Those kids deserve the honor that they got here this morning. But at the same time, as we put that on, it was an opportunity to get some of those parents in that also need to hear the gospel. Some of their children have been here in the Sunday school for six years and eight years and on, and, and yet those parents, they still need to hear the gospel. Those things aren't wrong, but we need to be genuine. We need to be together. We need to be standing firm where we are, but this, this oneness and trust the Lord to add to the church as he should. I want to give you seven things this evening with these thoughts in mind right here. Seven things this evening. Now, as we look at these things, these are just some things that I believe that will help as a body. This is a pattern that the Lord himself has given us. Now, as we take it and we look through the scriptures and we kind of, kind of build upon that, the first thing that it requires to be a successful church is perseverance. Perseverance. Do you know what perseverance is? Well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, notice what he says in verse 13 and 14. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He had a goal. The Apostle Paul is saying here, you know, we can't change the past. We can't go back and undo or redo what we've done there. But I've got a goal. And there's this one thing that I'm doing. I'm going to press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus, that high calling that's been placed upon our lives as we press towards the mark of that calling that's been placed. Notice that also in 2 Timothy chapter 4, notice what the Word of God says there in verse 7 and 8. As the Apostle Paul came down to the end there, writing to the Philippians, he was saying, I've got one thing in mind. I'm pressing towards the mark, towards the goal. When he got down to the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, notice what he said in verse 7 and 8. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We've got a goal. And our goal is not here on this earth, though we've got things here that we want to see. I'm reminded of the story that I'm told, you know, a runner's aim when he's out there in a race is to win, to finish first at the finish line. I remember reading the story of a princess. Her dad, who was the king, had decided, well, how, you know, was he going? He had all these different people that was wanting his daughter's hand in marriage. So he decided, I know, I'll have them all run a race. And whoever finishes first place, whoever wins that race, they're the ones that will get my daughter's hand. Well, he had something else in his mind that all those runners didn't know about. They set out and they're all, loads of them, they're all out there, they're, they're running this race. But along the way, suddenly along beside the road, there was like this big chunk of gold that was laying there. I mean, wow, this is something that would be really, really valuable. We find that I think he had them made in the shape of apples, if I remember reading the story correct. <laughs> so they would stop to grab that golden apple and put it in their pockets, you know, and they're running along and they'd see another golden apple. And, and so they were, as they were running along, I mean, these things are too valuable to pass up. They kept getting them all in. Of course, what's happening? They're all running. They're getting loaded down all the time with these valuable golden, solid gold apples. But there was one prince out there. He had one goal in mind. That was the hand of the princess. He didn't stop for any of those gold apples. And as they started getting towards the end of the race, man, the rest of them, they were putting everything they had into it, but they were so weighted down they couldn't keep up because he had one goal in mind. That was the hand of the princess. And I say that because, you know, sometimes we need to persevere for the goal, not to be sidetracked by things that they may truly, those golden apples were really valuable, but they weren't the main thing at the end. We can get sidetracked by maybe important, valuable things along the way, but if we're not careful, we get so weighted down with things that may have great value that we're not able to really succeed in the race, in the main race that we're in. 
We shouldn't let things of this life weight us down and keep us from the main goal. We need to persevere. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get our attention on the other things. Persevere for the main goal that's set before us. Not only does it need perseverance, but something that we also saw here is it needs prayer. It needs prayer. You know, how many times, how many times since you were a Christian have you heard somebody talk about how important it is to pray, how important it is to have a personal prayer life, how important it is for us to pray together? You know, I said there's lots of reasons for the prayer meeting in a church on Wednesday evening. And I really, really genuinely believe with all my heart that no church is going to be any more powerful than its prayer. I guess that one of the things that many of you know that I guess one of my heroes of bygone year preachers is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And I'll never forget the first time that I read. I mean, you know, again, you know, the man was so humble. God used him so greatly. Yet he never felt like he was anything of himself. As a matter of fact, when he stood on the platform in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Brother Steve, to, to preach the message, they said it was purposely built that way that underneath the raised platform that he stood on that there was a room underneath. And that as he stood there every service preaching from that platform, that there were hundreds of people packed in that room below him that were doing nothing but praying for him while he was standing there preaching. And he said, that's the fuel that's where the power comes from. We find that, I say it sometimes a lot harder to be, but there's a lot of truth to it. It's awful hard to be mad at somebody that you're praying with. <laughs> you get down, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what it is they've done to upset you or to, to get under your skin or to irritate you. You get down there and earnestly start praying with them to the Lord. It's awfully hard to stay upset with each other. That's why that it's not just the power of a church. But the unity of a church, yes, you can pray on your own. But the Lord gives us a, a, a bond when we can pray together. You know, we come together. He says, confess your faults one to another. Boy, that makes the devil mad. He'd rather you just carry it all by yourself, keep struggling under the weight of it. Yes, let it defeat you sometimes, and you get up and you keep struggling on and struggling on, but you wouldn't dare let anybody else know that you're struggling with it because what would they think of me? We may as well realize there's not a one of us here this evening. I have no doubt I'm less perfect than any one of you, and I don't say that out of any false thing. I don't, I don't even understand why God loves me. <laughs> I certainly don't understand why he would want to do anything with me. But the simple truth is, is that when we come together as a church to pray together, I'm not discounting your personal prayer life. You need that so much. But the more a church will pray together, the more they'll be together. The more they'll, yes, they'll have that, that, that power, but the more unity they'll be, it'll be awfully hard to stay upset with each other and the devil drive those wedges in when you're spending that time in prayer together. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 18, the Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance, there that is again, and supplication for all saints, praying for each other. Constantine, I mean, there's not a, a, a lot of not so good things about him, but one thing I remember reading about Emperor Constantine was that 
when he was looking upon all the statues of all the famous people that had gone before him, that he made this comment. He said, I shall have mine taken kneeling. Talking about the statue that was going to be built of him. I shall have mine taken kneeling for that is how I have risen to power. He knew that the only reason that he's where he was at was because of prayer. You see, one of the things about the Bible, there's only one way to rise, and that's to kneel. There's only one way to receive, and that's to give. I know it makes no sense to the world, but it makes sense to God. Perseverance, prayer. Thirdly, proclamation. We find that, of course, one of the most familiar passages, and we looked at it even over the last couple of weeks, some in Romans chapter 10, of course, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We find that the question is asked, how are they going to call on him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher, without somebody to proclaim that message to them? He said when he began his writings to the church here at Rome, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We need to do everything that we can to proclaim the gospel message. We used to have a little sign that hung up in a place of business in a place that I, that I had in the States. And it was simply, you know, really trying to get a message across to the customers. It says, if you're satisfied, tell others. If not, tell us. And you know, as Christians, are we satisfied with what the Lord has done for us in this great thing of salvation? Well, the one thing that every one of us can do is to tell others. Folks, there will never, ever be a successful church one that is not willing to persevere for the main goal, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that's not willing to spend time in prayer individually and together, a church that's not proclaiming the gospel. Too many churches today, they're just social gatherings for what it will do for them instead of what they can do for others. Again, perusal. You know what it means to peruse something? To search it out. We need to search the Scriptures. That's what the Bereans did. We read about it right here in the book of Acts that, that we're in over in Acts chapter uh, 17 and verse uh, 11. Uh, the Word of God says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. I can't remember now who it was that uh, I was talking to. <laughs> could have been one of you, could have been somebody else. Um, but I was talking to somebody about something it seemed like it maybe was, uh, was earlier this week uh, and about the fact that, you know, one of the, no, I remember who it was, it wasn't one of you. Uh, 
talking about some thoughts that he's putting together for you while I'm gone, though. <laughs> and, you know, one of the amazing things is that as we look into God's Word, most Christians, if they're really honest, they don't spend a whole lot of time there, perusal, searching the Scriptures daily. The simple truth is, is that, you know, it's more astounding the more that we're there. There's nothing else in all the world like it. You know, so many times people say, well, you know, the Old Testament doesn't make sense, you know. Just a bunch of people killing each other and, and one nation, you know, wiping out another one and all this, you know. When you begin to search the Scriptures, you put the Old Testament and the New Testament together, begin to find that, you know, God's Word fits together like nothing else in all the world. The deeper that you go, you never find something that suddenly, whoa, I knew that wasn't true. But the reality is, is the deeper you go, the more you find out, wow, this is God. How can all this fit together? How can all this match up, whether it's the, the real and the symbolism and everything else? And, of course, today we live in a day when so many people, I was talking about this this afternoon with Brother Carl, Sister Elaine, so many people, they don't understand love anymore because it's not the love of the Bible. It's the erotic love of this world is the only love that they know. We talk to people, they don't, they don't understand a God that loves so much that he has to chasten. Because most of our generation today, they aren't chastened or disciplined because they're not really loved and cared for like they ought to be. All these things that go hand in hand in hand, we look around in society and they aren't there. But the sad thing is, is that even in the generation of Christians that are coming along, when we begin to spend less time in God's Word, it's going to affect us. Church, if we're going to be a successful church, it's going to take perseverance. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take proclamation, proclaiming the gospel. It's going to take perusal of the Scriptures, searching the Scriptures daily and letting them build us up and strengthen us and come alive in us and make us stronger Christians. How many times have we talked about the best way to recognize when something's not right, when something is wrong, is because you've studied the real thing so much that you know it doesn't make sense because you know what the truth is. You know what's real. People worry, well, how am I supposed to know who to believe and what to believe? Get in the Word of God. That's what will help you to know what's real and what's not. <clears throat> We've already talked about this one. A successful church has got to be a praising church. I know Sometimes we're afraid to raise our voice too loud in song and not raise your hand for sure. Simple truth is, is God can be praised in all kinds of ways, but He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be magnified. Do you remember, this? I'm, I know all of you do, the story of Paul and Silas. <laughs> I mean, here they were. They were out there. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were out there proclaiming the gospel. They were trying to see people saved. They were standing for the truth. And what happens? They get thrown in jail for it. Boy, God, what are you doing? Lord, help me to understand this. But instead of sitting there all feeling sorry for themselves, trying to figure out how they got themselves in that, in that situation, what do they start doing? They start praising, singing, praising the Lord. And what happens? Man, the whole place shook. <laughs> The bars flew open and everything else. God was still on the scene. Now, I guarantee you, 
that if they'd sat down in there and started moping and crying and looking at how bad the world had been to them when they were trying to be such good Christians, they didn't deserve this kind of treatment, it wouldn't have happened. Those jail cells wouldn't have opened up. And as a result, that jailer and his household wouldn't have been saved. <laughs> Who could have ever dreamed that two of God's choice servants were going to have to get thrown in prison so that this family could be saved while they were there? See, it's awful easy. And one of the things the devil will try time and time again to try to get you to feel sorry for yourself and just to feel how, you know, you're trying so hard and things just aren't working out and, you know, you just, you don't deserve this. In fact, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve the kind of great blessings that we have. But the truth is, is that if he can get us feeling sorry for ourselves, you don't have to worry too much about your testimony. I don't think it's going to affect too many people in the right way. It might drive some away. Time's getting on. Psalm 66, Psalm 100. Take and read them for yourselves. The Bible is full of it. A successful church. It's going to be a church that even in the tough times, even in the bad times, even when somebody's mad and upset, they're going to be praising the Lord, praising Him for His goodness all that he's doing. A successful church requires something else, and this one scares people sometimes, I admit. Participation. Getting involved. If everybody just sits on the sideline, nobody's going to be out there to win the game. The Bible goes to great detail a lot of times to, especially the Apostle Paul, it's obvious that he, he loved athletics, and he used that illustration many times. But nobody ever wins the game sitting on the sideline or sitting in the stands observing. Somebody's got to be out there doing it. We need to be involved. Find that sometimes we think we just don't have the time. We've just got so many things going on in life. Of course, if we sit back and look at it sometimes, that'll tell us exactly what's important to us in life. Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 8, we sing these words sometimes. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received. Freely give. The Lord's blessed us so much. Why aren't we willing to, to pass it on to give it to others? I'm saying that there needs participation. Participation of our substance the things we have? Are we willing to really use what the Lord has blessed us with for His work, for His glory, for His work to, uh, to carry on? In Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 10, the Word of God says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And what's that next word in your Bible? Prove me. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Just try me. Just prove me, he says. I've asked many times, and I won't dwell there this evening. You can have 100% of all that you earn and all that you make and all that you have without the Lord's blessing or 90% with his blessing me, that's not hard to figure out. 
which that I would rather have. You know, you're still saved. If you rob him of your tithes, that's not going to make you unsaved because he didn't say that for by grace and paying your tithes, thou shalt be saved. <laughs> for by grace are you saved through faith. A successful church, it's many a church where people are participating with their substance, giving that the Lord's work may be carried on, but not only with their substance, but this one you really got to give him if he's going to give you substance usually, and that's yourself. He wants you. He wants you for him. I've already mentioned a couple of times this evening the, the passage about not to, uh, forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, he says in, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. A church is not going to be successful if everybody stays home. It's just not. It can't. You know, the reality is sometimes we think, well, it doesn't really matter if I'm there or not. I like the saying that, the, of course, the U.S. Marines were supposed to be the, they were supposed to be the toughest physically uh, military, you know, and, and uh, uh, they used to have a, a, a picture of this Marine standing there in his sharp uniform, and he, and he was pointing his finger. He was saying, you know, they need a few good men. We need a few good men. Um, God needs a few good men and women and boys and girls. Some that will just get active and participate. Brother Carl said it this morning, and it is quite shocking. Actually, he was, uh, he was nicer than most that I've heard. He said that uh, he normally got about 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. More circles, it seems like it's more like 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. But the truth is, we don't know the exact percentages, but it always seems to be a small amount, whether it's on the mission field or in the local church. The first church that we saw there, and they were all together, one accord, in their homes and in the temple. They weren't just all out there doing their own thing because they didn't have time for each other. A successful church. Is going to require participation by those that belong to it. A lot of things we could we could say there, but I guess it really comes down to it's very simple. Lord, how much of me do you really get? How much of my time do you really get? Um, and we all make that decision. But I'm saying the more that you get involved, I'll say this. I don't know if I've ever said it before or not. <laughs> you know, a pastor a lot of times. He has to listen to a lot of upset people a lot of times, a lot of grumbling, uh, a lot of people that don't like the way he's done this or the way he's done that or the way somebody else has done this or that. And it's pretty much a continuous thing. It's like the old saying, you know, that they ask, you know, the pastor, you know, if you've ever, have you ever thought about quitting? Every Monday morning. <laughs> um, you know, there's times that, you know, just be honest with you, there's times when I, I, I really put off on Monday mornings opening my emails <laughs> um, because so many times when I open them on Monday, it's something that's being complained about from, from Sunday. Well, that's hard, you know, when so many times week after week after week. At the same time, I've always said, well, if you got something to say, I'd rather you say it to me. It's to somebody else, you know. It's like, you know, the saying, if, if, if you're satisfied, tell others. If not, tell me. Well, that goes for the pastor too. Um, 
It's so easy sometimes to spot what's wrong. And the ironic thing is, is that more times than not, the people that are the most dissatisfied, the people that are the ones that have the most complaints and the most problems with everything that's going on are the ones that are the least involved anyway. They're sitting back watching what everybody else is doing, but they're not doing themselves. It's not usually the ones that are busy for the Lord because we all know when we're busy for the Lord. We know our shortcomings in others. But the more important thing is getting the job done and doing it together. A successful church is going to require participation. It's not going to be a very successful church if nobody's really willing to get involved and to do their part in the whole body. I'm going to give you this final one in closing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm just going to read part of chapter 12, and really you can read right on through chapter 13. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. What's probably one of the most comely parts of your body? I can tell you what mine probably is, though it'd be a tough race for something, probably my feet. <laughs> you know, there's not anything very beautiful about most people's feet, but how would you like not to have any? <laughs> um, simple truth is, is that if you, if you were going to give up one part of your body tonight, what part would you give up? What part would you like to not have to, to have anymore? Simple truth is, I can't think of any part of my body that I would just like to give up. I kind of like to keep all of me that there is. Maybe a few pounds, but that's not part of it. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? 
Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show unto, unto you a more excellent way. We won't take time to read it, but you know what that more excellent way is? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And he goes on to describe that charity, that love that suffereth long, and right down through there. You see, the simple truth is, is that a successful church is a partnership. Each and every one of us with one another and us one with Christ is our head. He's making it very clear here that every, every part of that body is important. Every part of that body needs to be working together with the rest of it. It's not a matter of, you know, you, you can be this great Christian with all these wonderful abilities to, to get out there and to teach and to preach and to do all these wonderful, magnificent things. But without love, he said it's worthless. It's worthless. That love. So we find that the first church here, the first church, they were standing firm on the apostles' doctrines, on the doctrines that God had laid down for his church, those same doctrines that we stand on today. They had a oneness in their fellowship, in their homes, in their church. They were in one accord. They weren't divided. They were looking at each other's needs. They were more concerned about helping the other one that was stumbling and the other one that didn't have than they were about themselves instead of looking and saying, well, I could have done that better or he shouldn't have done that or he shouldn't have said that or she shouldn't have went there and all these things that we can find wrong. They were concerned about trying to help each other and to encourage each other and to work together as one body because they were of the one faith. God had placed them together. You know, if you're in God's will this evening, being part of this body right here at Bethel, then it's God that has placed you here. And God has placed you here as part of that body. And the Bible is very clear. You need to be fulfilling your part in partnership with the rest. With Jesus Christ, not only is our head, He is our goal, He is our aim, He is our everything. You know, it's not about a bunch of rules to follow. It's not about doing more than this one and doing more than that one. It's doing your part what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter how it relates. It's kind of hard for a, an eyeball and a big toe to do the same thing. But they both work for you. and They both make you complete. You know, we're going to be away for a few months, but simple truth is, is, you know, for us, that's going to be hard in a lot of ways because, you know, we're part of you. Heart, soul, spirit, we're part of you. But the simple truth is, that's why, thank God, that there are these that are willing to say, okay, we're going to step into the gap. We're going to still work together because we're all one body. 
And just like that first church, Brother Steve, I believe this with all my heart. It doesn't matter if it's me preaching or you preaching or Brother Chris preaching, whoever else might be standing in this pulpit preaching. It's whether that book is being preached and whether it's being preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter who the vessel, the instrument is. I don't... I couldn't be so proud as to think that because that we're going to be away ministering somewhere else, that you're going to have less effective preaching because it's somebody else doing. I hope you got better preaching than you've had for the last 20 some years <laughs> because God can do that. God's the one that has to do the speaking. God's the one that has to do it. But if we're going to be a successful church, it's not because this preacher's here. It's not because of Who's going to be there? But it's because truly as a body where God has placed us that we're together, that we're standing firm on the truths and the doctrines that he's given us. We don't waver from that, but we're standing there putting each other first, doing our part, sharing, working together, seeing how we can be more involved, not how we can back away and do less. What can I do? What can I do to help us work better, to help us be a more effective body so that more souls will be added daily? The Lord's the one that will do that. We can't save anybody, but we can do our part as an effective body together. That's my prayer for you. And I believe with all my heart, it can actually be a time that you can grow stronger. It'll actually be a time when you've got to pitch in and do more. If you're willing to be one of those that'll participate, that'll get involved, that'll get in there, God will bless that and God will honor that. I believe with all my heart, we can come back in a few months and see a stronger church, more souls that have been won into the kingdom, a church that's together and more unified and working together one for another that he might be glorified. Don't matter whether you get the credit doesn't matter if anybody knows. matters whether he's glorified. Is his work being carried out? That should be our goal. That's the race that we're in for him, not for us. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord. Lord, as we've truly looking at the Scriptures, Lord, you know that we've just tried to share a little bit of our heart this evening. Lord, you know that I believe with all my heart that it's you that Lord, that has built this body that we know is Bethel Free Baptist Church. Father, you've put each one here that is a part of it. Lord, you've put each one here for a purpose, and each one has a part. Lord, I pray that you would just help. These simple things that we've looked at this evening, these things that can make us a stronger church, can make us a successful church, not in man's eyes, we could care less but make us a successful church in your eyes because we're what you would have us to be, that you might add daily such as should be saved. Lord, that's our sole desire. We can function for you, for your glory, that your work can be accomplished. I pray, Lord, that you would help that to be the case as you work in each one's heart and life. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.